All right, good evening. Welcome to Under the Dome, this inaugural episode of this podcast. Uh, my name is Alan Ulrich. Uh, been a Saints fan since 1973. Saw the best of times, and I've seen lots and lots of the worst of times. Uh, we hope to have a good show for you tonight. We're going to do a little preview of the team. Lots of the worst of times. Uh, we hope okay. to have a good show. Got a little echo there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we hope to have a good show for you guys. And uh, let me go ahead and start by introducing my partner here, Mr. Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Thanks, Alan. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. Doing good. Man, this is, uh, this is the culmination of two years of work for us. Uh, what started out as just a vision is coming to light tonight. Uh, glad to have you with me on this journey. Uh, my name is Sean Williams. Everybody calls me Taz. I cover the Saints for ProFootballSpot.com and I'm also the NFC West, West Division Coordinator for PFS. We're very happy and very proud to be coming to you live tonight for the premiere of the Under the Dome podcast. We want to thank Fan First Productions for getting behind us on this project and making it possible for us to come to you tonight. And we encourage you all to follow us on Facebook, on the Under the Dome podcast page, on Twitter at Under the Dome PO1, or you can e email us and contact the show through Under the Dome podcast at gmail.com. Now, getting straight to business, uh, today, Alan, we had some. Um, some roster moves. You want right. to discuss that? Yeah, two uh, two guys got put on. One was put on a physically enabled perform list, the pup list, as it's called, and the other one is on the non-football injury list. Uh, Avery Young, the uh, tackle out of Auburn, uh, undrafted rookie. Uh, some guy I'm hoping uh, has a good camp because I'd like to see him become our starting left tackle, our uh, left guard. Uh, after playing left tackle over at Auburn, uh, he is on the non-football injury list, which basically means he did something during this month off they've had, and whenever he's ready to pass the physical, he can be pulled off this list and can start practicing, but it's just a designation they put him in. Uh, the other player, uh, I believe is what, DJ uh, Warwick? Headway. Petway. Petway. Thank you, Petway. Petway. Uh, middle linebacker from Alabama. <clears throat> right. Un undrafted free agents. Okay. Yeah, he's on the physically enabled perform list, which just means he can't pass a physical. So he is going to start the season on this pup list, and again, he can get pulled off at any time. So it's not a panic move. Don't anybody get worried. Uh, it's not into reserve or recallable into reserve. It's something that, you know, players just go through in training camp. We've had this before. Just wait it out. Don't panic yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Alan, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, we want to tonight kind of set the stage for training camp, which begins a week from today in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia at the Greenbrier. Right. Uh, facility and to do that we want to go through the roster basically position by position and right. discuss discuss what we have maybe feature some of the uh, some of the intriguing 
positional battles that we might right. have in training camp. I think the best um, thing to do, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I think the best thing to start doing is uh, let's just let's start with just position by position. Start with the offense and look at the quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, uh, Drew Brees. You know, he's got this as a starter, so we know what he can do. The real battle really is the backup position. Uh, Luke McCown versus Garrett Grayson. Uh, Luke McCown, we've seen so far, pretty much he could come in for you for a couple games, start. You shouldn't see that big of a drop in the offense. We saw that in uh, Carolina last year where he almost won the game, uh, managed the game extremely well. Something that, you know, Saints fans have always wor worried about, you know, what happens if Drew goes down. I think we're pretty safe with McCown. It's Garrett Grayson, the, the uh, second-year player, uh, we really have to be concerned about because this is an important camp for him. Uh, I don't know how much growth he's shown so far. I was reading something uh, yesterday, in fact, saying that in the mini camp, uh, OTAs he looked pretty solid, but in the mini camps with his no pads on, no pressure on him. Uh, he kind of uh, was a little erratic, you know. He was doing all the things that he was doing in college, ball holding the ball down too low, uh, failing to uh, make his reads right away, laying the ball, you know, sail on him so he was wildly inaccurate. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in camp this year. What do, do you, you think, John? Do you foresee any scenario where – the Saints would wind up keeping Grayson and cutting McCown loose. No, no, no. I, I, don't, and I'll tell I you, don't either, but I get asked that question <clears throat> quite a bit. I'll tell you, uh, unless Garrett Grayson just totally blows away, uh, you know, preseason, I can't see it happening because just because of what we saw at McCown last year, and the way he was able to manage the game without a big drop-off, I just can't see Grayson being the only number two guy. And I know why people are asking about this, because when you start doing the math of the roster, if you're already tying up three running back, or three quarterbacks, that cuts down the number of receivers you can have, cuts down the number of running backs you can have. So, you know, it, we've gone with two before, but Garrett and, Grayson's – And I, oh, I think it – I think it's important to mention the numbers that you, you have to reserve for your receivers and for your running backs and for your linemen. Those are numbers that you're going to use. Those are numbers and players that you're going to make use of. You're holding on to three quarterbacks. You're only going to use one of those unless it's a doomsday scenario somewhere down along the line. Well, before they change the, uh, the uh, inactive list, you used to be able to carry that third quarterback, and it didn't count really against your roster or your inactive list. You can just say, okay, third guy, inactive, it's good. I can run with two quarterbacks. You don't have that luxury anymore. Now that guy counts towards your roster, and it makes it a little more difficult for you to start juggling your numbers. Uh, you know, again, it's just basic math. So let's look at the running backs, for example, okay? You know Mark Ingram has got a job you know that we're probably going to keep C.J. Spiller as your third down specialty back. And you know, Tim Hightower more than provided, I mean, proved that he's ready to, he can ready to play as a second string back. So you got three backs right there. Saints have been keeping four. 
So now you've got what one, two, three, four, four guys basically battling for that fourth spot. The biggest likely, names. You'll likely have a running back on special teams right. returns. At, at exactly. The That's what I was going to say. Marcus Murphy and uh, Daniel Lasco, the seventh round pick. Those are your top two that are going to be battling for that fourth spot. Now, where do undrafted guys fit in, if any? You know, we've traditionally gotten undrafted guys who made the team. You start going through Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory, uh, Tavares Cadet, players like that who've made Kyrie. the team. Kyrie Robinson, right, who've made the team's undrafted free agents. Who is going to be the undrafted free agent this year? And that just makes that fourth spot even tighter. And we still haven't even sure. talked about a fullback, if a fullback even makes the roster this year. That brings up another point I, I wanted to ask you. It seems mm -hmm. nowadays that there's two schools of thinking. You either have the tight end fullback set or you have the, I guess, what they used to call the H-back. Right. Who, who plays right. kind of a <clears throat> hybrid of the two. Which are you in favor of in, in terms of I, this offense? In this offense, I think it's going to be the H-back. I you know, what Sean Payton really wants as a fullback, he wants a Tom Rathman. He wants a guy who is a blocker, who can run the short yardage, and can also go out for passes. Because he wants to get as many receivers as he can out there to catch Drew Brees' passes, look for his matchups, isolate matchups, and then just move the chains. Sure. Uh, you got the closest you got to a Rathman kind of back was when we had Heath Evans here because Heath sure. Evans was a good receiver. Heath Evans was old. He got injured in 2009. He got injured again in 2010. Uh, so what you've seen now is you've seen him incorporate more of an H-back kind of guy. Jack Collins uh, was a good fullback for us. He did a lot of the short yardage stuff. He just wasn't as good of a receiver as what Sean likes, which is why he's not here anymore. So I think, you know, who man uh, – Who's your mama? Who's Manzato? Whatever you say his name. I just call him. I just call him Who Man because. The only way I can say it is to say it really slow. There you go. I just wish Buddy D was still alive because I would love to have heard him butcher that name. But, yeah, I mean, Who Man is really going to be your H back kind of guy. If you've ever paid attention to those routes that that uh, Josh Hill has run, where he comes across motion, looks like he's lining up as the fullback, and then kind of just, you know, comes out kind of a curl route out there, and they hit him in a flat, and flare. he just kind of takes it, yeah, like a little flare pass. That is ideally what he likes to do with his fullbacks, just playing a, I mean, his tight end playing a fullback, that H-back kind of route. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Does he make that team? Does he make that, uh, I mean, does he go with a fullback, or does he go with just three tight ends or fourth tight end? Where is that number going to be? Because your tight ends, you know Felina is your number one guy. That's going to be your Jimmy Graham type of re uh, receiving tight end. You know Josh Hill's probably going to make this team because they paid him a lot of money uh, to yeah. keep one of the Bears. So that's going to be your blocking tight end. So you've got who man now is your H-back third tight end. Do they go with a fourth? tight end, or they keep an extra lineman to kind of play that short yardage, uh, pound the ball in uh, for first downs or touchdowns. I, I think, think that a lot of that will be decided in as the offensive line comes together in the preseason. 
how they start to shake out a little bit will go a long way towards determining that, right. I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, Jack Tab was somebody that uh, Hokie Gajon uh, really liked because he was a good, hard blocking tight end. Well, they let him go uh, before training camp even is even here. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if the basketball player Chris Manhurts, what kind of kind of uh, development does he show this year? Uh, Garrett Griffin, who is the Air Force tight end, I'm not yeah. quite sure if he's on the roster yet or not. I know they got that commitment issue going on. Um, he so, has to get a full release from the service before he can be added. Right. Correct. Right. 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 So there's kind of a kind and the of Air a, Force doesn't typically do that. No, no. I think this is going to be like a Roger Starback kind of thing. This is going to be a guy you're going to have to hold on until he finishes his service. The last one that I remember was a guy that played with the Cowboys. I want to say Chad Henning. Um, defensive. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, lineman. I'm trying to remember. I think you're right. No, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I think that's right because right now I've got the Chad Henning quarterback from Michigan in my head. And that's not him, I know, but no, that's think, Chad. That's Chad Henny. This yeah. Is Hen, Henning. Yes, I know, I know. So, uh, that again, the tight end position is going to be interesting to see. I think sure. I'm looking to watch Chris Manhurts this year. I want to see what if they have anything in him because he's a former basketball player, like I Jimmy know, Graham. I know he's got huge size. I saw a photo of him the other day the whole uh, receiving core around mm -hmm. Drew Brees, and this guy looked like he could be an offensive lineman. Right. Man, man hurt. But, but he is unbelievably raw. I mean, Graham played one year of football at Miami. Uh, you know, the other basketball players like Tony Gonzalez and uh, uh, the, the guy out there in, uh, Carol, um, in San Diego, can't believe I'm forgetting his name, Antonio Gates, you know, they had NFL, I mean, football experience before they got into the NFL. This guy here has none. So I'm really curious to see what kind of development, if any, he has this year. So that's going to be a fun guy to watch. Sure. The other battle that's going to be incredible to watch is wide receiver because just like running back, you've got a whole group of guys basically fighting for one spot because uh, your top three are going to be Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed, and Michael Thomas. So Brandon Coleman's spot is the one that's up for grab. He has the lead right now, but you've got R.J. Harris, Jared Dangerfield, the uh, Vincent Brown from San Diego. Uh, you know, Coleman obviously fighting for his own spot. Uh, and anybody else they bring in during camp, uh, all fighting for a fourth spot because even if the Saints keep five receivers, they only activate four on game day. So yeah. one's always inactive. Uh, who gets that last spot? You know, who gets an opportunity to play? And I think this you're going to see in the second half of those preseason games, a lot of guys trying to make plays, and that's what you have to watch. Garrett Grayson, the running backs, and those wide receivers. What do they do in that in that spot, and who can play special teams? Because we're sure. assuming we're assuming Lasco or Murphy are going to be the kick returners, but you know, there's nothing in there that says to a be receiver honest, can't take it. To be honest with you, 
I think that the the special team returner job is cadets to lose based on the end of the season last year. Okay. So then again, four backs, where does cadet fit in with Lasco, who is really a gunner more so than a returner? Yeah. And Murphy. So you're saying cadet and Murphy are fighting for those spots. So again, another interesting battle to see. And sure. the battle, the battle which everyone is talking about, is offensive line. Who are you well, going to be? Oh, I think uh, in a large, large sense of of thinking, the very uh, complexion of this season is going to be largely dependent on how that uh, shapes up. Right, because. Right now, if the game, if the Saints had to play a game right now, your starting five are Armstead, Lolito, Unger, uh, Pete, and Streif, and that gives some people hives thinking about Pete and Streif out there and Lolito, and the Saints fired their running, they fired their offensive line coach and brought in a new coach because. Sean must have felt that he did not see development under Pete and development out of Lolito uh, and even uh, Clemente that the Saints needed to become a solid offensive line. Pro Football Weekly, uh, Pro Football Focus's garbage numbers aside, this was not the fifth-rated offensive line in the NFL, not by a long shot. You watch well, that Redskins and Eagles games, that was not a great <laughs> offensive line. Like you and I were discussing the other night, they had Zach Streif in the top ten of offensive tackles for the season. That says yeah. a lot for their credibility. <clears throat> You're I, right. I love the the player that Streif has been. I love the contribution that he's made to this team. Right. But so as we've seen with Pierre Thomas, Jonathan Vilma, Colston, sooner or later, all of those those storied oh. careers come to an end. Right. As uh, as Mike Dettilio always says, Father Time is undefeated. And uh, they just come to time. I mean, Stan Brock, at the end of his great career, unfortunately this was in a playoff game, a game I was sitting there watching, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles a game. Uh, Reggie White just threw him like a rag doll. And here's a 13-year vet. He had been there since 1980. And in this game, Reggie White just totally abused him. He played for another year with the San Diego Chargers, got a championship ring, at least AFC championship ring. Uh, but, yeah, it was time. It was time. So that's what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about Avery Young. My fantasy offensive line setup will be Armstead, Young, Unger, Turner, Landon Turner, one of the other undrafted free agents, and then Pete. Sure. Because Pete cannot compete with Streif for that right tackle job if he's got to play the right guard. And right now right. it looks like he's the leader for the right guard position, and that's the problem. Uh, we, we really need him to be the right tackle, and we really need these other guys to step up and beat out Lolito and Clemente to be the guards. Sure. I, I can't see Sean Payton doing that because his track record, except for Jari Evans, who is probably the greatest guard ever to play for the Saints, uh, 
he hasn't started anybody as a rookie. Uh, sure. He, even Carl Nix, as good as he was, didn't start as a rookie. He came in after uh, a drug suspension to the to the guy that was in front of him. Um, and uh, Streif didn't come in as a rookie. He was the third tackle. Yeah. You know, uh, even Brian De La Puente, who was an undrafted center, didn't start as a rookie. They came and brought him in after Olin Krutz was gone. Yeah. And then the most the most famous one is uh, the you know when Charles Brown was the left tackle and Sean Payton said I've seen enough and put Armstead in and he's been locked in ever since. Ever uh, since. I yeah. still remember that game. <sighs> when we play the Rams, I don't know what happens. Somehow we transpose the current Saints with the 1973 Saints. I don't know. It's just a horrible, <laughs> horrible experience with the Rams. Um, okay. Overall speaking, mm -hmm. what do you how do you like the outlook on the offense going into this training camp? Well, <clears throat> I think, you know, as long as you've got Drew Brees upright and protected, he's going to score points. The whole key is, does he get protected? Drew Brees is the weakest when you can get pressure right at the A-gap, which is the gap between the, gander, the center and guard, when you can get up in his face. He's only six foot tall if he stands on his tiptoes. Sure. Uh, you know, he has to take a very deep drop so he can see downfield to make his downfield throws. If the pressure's coming up the middle, he can't do that. So he'd have to do what they call move him off his spot. He has to roll out and move when that shrinks the field for him. He has fewer targets to hit. It makes it harder for this offense to work. If you go back and look at the footage from the 2011 season or the 2009 season when you had Evans at his peak, you had Carl Nixon there, and you had either Jonathan Goodwin or Brian De La Puente in that center position. Holding that up, you watch Drew Brees take a 7-12 step drop sometimes, and then he starts to slide up as the pressure comes in around him. He slides up, it, and those guards and that center just make that perfect pocket. He steps in, makes that throw, and there's Colston or Graham or you know Henderson, anyone downfield wide open. You know, because those late developing routes can open up that way, and it's it's the it that's the whole key to his offense. You know, Drew has to be able to step up and make those throws. The scary thing to me, of course, <clears throat> you can say this probably about any player in the world, obviously, but with a 36, 37 year old quarterback, the end of the fantasy is always just one hit away. Yeah. We saw it against Tampa. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that happened early in that. That happened in, like, if I'm not mistaken, the what, second drive of the game when Breeze took that shot from Martin? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, very and average finished, defensive end. Yeah. And he finished the game, but from that moment all the way through the rest of the game, he it looked like, Something had rent the alignment, so to speak. It, it wasn't. It was number nine out there, but it wasn't Drew Brees. Look, I I'm an old school television show fan, and I'm convinced that Dr. Andrews is really Rudy Wells of the Six Million Dollar Man fame, and he gave Drew a bionic arm because that arm is stronger than it ever was at Purdue or San Diego. Absolutely. Uh, 
And, yeah, if that bionic arm gets damaged, yeah, it throws off the whole thing. And if you look at the Saints offense, uh, he really the – way, the way Drew Reed's defense is always deep to middle to short. You know, he's looking deep the whole time. He's looking downfield the whole time for the big play. Then he goes to the middle, and then he's looking for the dump off. If he has to constantly go to the dump off each time, that affects the play calling Sean Payton's going to do. Sure. And you you saw that also with the uh, with the injury. Now he has to go shorter. Now we're looking at more screen passes. Now we're looking at more underneath dump off, those bubble screens, those little little flare out patterns and things like that. Because Drew can doesn't have the time to wait for those late developing routes to open up. So yeah. The whole key to this offense is that offensive line. Can it develop? Because I think we have the skill players. It's can this offensive line protect Drew? It's it's all like you just said. It's all gonna <clears throat> boil down to is Breeze going gonna be able to do what he does, and that uh, that's directly dependent on that offensive line doing what they're supposed to do. Right, right. So that's the key battle. Out of all the battles we talk about on offense, that's the key. Who sure. is the starting five? Defense, huh. you know, defense. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's Groundhog Day. Every year we're talking about the defense and what is the defense going to do? Where's the pass rush going to come from? Who are the linebackers? Are they going to make plays? You know, what about the secondary? Uh, and we could start right away looking at that defensive line. We've drafted Absolutely. Sheldon Rankins. Uh, we drafted Sheldon Rankins. He's a three-technique by nature player. We signed uh, Nick Fairley, who's another three-technique guy. And what a three-technique guy means is basically he's the nose tackle kind of position uh, of the defensive line if we're doing a, a three-man front. Uh, so a lot of people are saying things like, well, we'll get – Rankins and Fairley playing side by side. Well, you really can't, not in the base defense, because they play the same position. Yeah. You need a you need another defensive tackle, a big defensive tackle, kind of eat up that that gap next to him. So, you know, we're gonna look more like John Jenkins or uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now. They call him the Rhino. Uh, hang on, I'll look at his name Richardson. right now. Richardson. Yes, yeah, Sheldon Richardson, yeah. Uh, no, Sheldon, no. Um, yeah, you're right. Tyler Davidson, sorry, Tyler Davidson. Dave Richardson's the end. Yeah. Tyler Davidson. You know, that's, that is uh, that's going to be kind of the rotation there. It doesn't mean Rankins and uh, Fairley won't be on the field together because the good thing about Rankins is he can play the three technique. He can play the, you know, the end he can kind of be moved around as various chess pieces. So if the Saints were to go to their NASCAR packages, I like to call it, with all fast defensive linemen on the field, you could possibly see Rankins on one end, you know, Cam Jordan moved in inside next to Fairley, and then, you know, one of the jack players or pass rushers on the far end coming in, and that would be a possible alignment. I th- we were, we were discussing this earlier today. Have you seen any <clears throat> recent photos of Fairley? Yes, I have. He looks a lot thinner. What a are your thinner. expectations for him going into this season with us, as opposed to the time he was in Detroit as well as uh, St. Louis? 
Well, Detroit, he was affected by weight and health. Uh, sure. He had a bad foot a couple times. Uh, he had a bad knee. Um, you're playing next to Sue, you know, so he's kind of overshadowed a little bit. I think the Rams showed how to kind of use him for right now. You kind of have to rotate him in for special packages, like third down pass rusher, but things like that. Um, as far as uh, you know what uh, what we can get out of him, it depends on what he puts in. Kevin Williams last year, we got him. He was ninety years old or whatever, <laughs> and he ended up being one of your best defensive linemen because. He was great on early downs. Uh, he could really stuff the run, but he wore down quickly because of his age, because of his weight. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Uh, I'm not hanging my hat on Fairley. I just want Fairley to come in, rotate, and be a good player when it's when it's time for him to play. Just make a I, contribution. Right. You know, one of my biggest problems with John Jenkins, for example is Jenkins lets himself get lazy and out of shape. He doesn't get down low enough. And if you remember the Baltimore Ravens game in 2014, they just shoved him all over the place. He would sure. stand there and he would just take him, get under his pads, and just push him. You know, you, you can't win. A defensive lineman has to be the low man all the time. Get under the pads, stand that offensive lineman up, and just shove him back into the quarterback. So hopefully, Rankins kind of motivates fairly. I'm counting a lot on Rankins. Rankins has to be a three-down player. He has to be on that field all the time. Because last year, Cam Jordan was a one-man show. You had sure. Cam Jordan and three guys. It didn't matter who the heck they were. They weren't well, going to be able A lot of times, it, was, it wasn't even the same three from one play to the next. Right. Right, because they're trying to mix so and match whoever they could the, to make point, something happen. The point being, there's there's no way to uh, establish any kind of continuity playing that way. Right, and now with the defensive end position, um, you know they were counting a lot on um, on uh, Kihara to come in and you know be that kind of that elephant jack, whatever they want to call that position. It really goes back, and I'm gonna. Do a little history here. It really goes back to the old Miami Dolphins 53 defense, which they called it 53 because Doug Swift, that was his jersey number. Just like the 46, that was Doug Plank, that was his jersey number. That's where that number comes from. But basically, he would come in as a designated pass rusher and could either stand up or put his hand in the dirt, and his job was to go after the quarterback. You know, so it wasn't quite a 4-3 defense, and it wasn't quite a 34 defense. It was kind of a unique combo, and that's what we have here. We have four guys basically competing as that stand-up, hand-on-the-dirt kind of defensive end hybrid linebacker. So Davis Tull, uh, uh, I can never say this man's name, Guachum. Um, Obum. Obum Guachum, yes. Oh, wait a minute, he may butcher the other one's name. Cassine, Cassine, Ed, Bali. You want me to get it? Ed yes, Adibali. please. Edibali, thank you. Cassim, uh, Edibali. See, I can write these names. I can't pronounce them. Uh, I practice. 
There you go. But you, that's the people you have in the mix there to kind of take uh, Kihaka's place as the designated pass rusher. Um, who wins that battle? You know, who is going to be sure. a third down guy? Who could even play the first two downs? Because Bobby Richardson kind of has that job right now in the base 4-3 yeah. defense. Uh, but who can play both the run and the pass? That's going to be the real challenge for Bobby Richardson. So Cam Jordan, you have him locked in on one side, but who fills in that fourth spot on the on the other end? That's key. So there's a lot of a lot of shifting, a lot of moving. Dennis Allen's going to have his handful uh, trying to figure out who the best four guys I'm going to have on that line. Um, and then you know your linebackers. You know I know at least two of those guys can also play linebacker. Um, when do we shift to a 34 defense, when we shift into a 43 defense, depending on the opponent in the situation, because sometimes we might even have a safety coming in playing linebacker. So sure. I think the other day I said it was like a like a jigsaw puzzle, but you have no idea what the final picture looks like. You've just got a bunch of pieces that are yeah. all black, and it could be, a, uh, you know, the beach at night, for all you know, but it's just these black pieces that you're trying to piece together, and they look like they can fit each way, and that's what the defense is going to be like. So it's going to be hard to determine what a scheme is going to be. It's You're just going to see a lot of personnel coming in and out. Does Danelle Ellerby stay healthy this year? <laughs> Does Danelle Ellerby stay healthy for a game? That's what I want to see first. And then I mean, two games. And yes. Maybe three. That's right. <clears throat> I mean, I'll all jokes aside, and maybe I'm alone in this mode of thinking, but statistically speaking, you can go back mm -hmm. and look over the games that Ellerby actually was a significant part of. And there he was, was on the linebacker. He was on the linebacker you had. I mean, yeah. honestly, there was I'm not a market difference. In this, just on the stack. Because you had an NFL linebacker out there playing, you know. This I, is the I, guy I, that was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens right. to replace Ray Lewis. But the thing is, you know, last year, and I know people rip on the Joe Vitt and they rip on the coaches and things, but last year and the year before, you really did not have NFL caliber linebackers out there. You haven't had them since the days of Vilma, Fujita, and Shanley. Sure. Uh, Curtis Lofton, good, solid linebacker, but he makes all his tackles downfield. He doesn't make his tackles. He does. He's not an impact player on the other side of the line of scrimmage making the tackle. But last year, you really did not have NFL-caliber linebackers out there playing unless Ellerby came out there and played. That's why it looks so different. Yeah. If you're out there, if you're out there, and, I, and God, you know, I love Rich Marty. I know the man. I met his family. Michael Marty is a guy. He's going to give you a hundred percent of his his heart, his soul. He loves football. He's just not talented, and he got exposed last year, especially in that Tennessee game. You know, he cannot make the plays he needs to make. He's going to give you a hundred and ten percent, but he's just not talented enough. Stephon well, Anthony... Was that well, a, a, Marty being called on? Was mm -hmm. that, wasn't that just a testament to how oh, absolutely. 
how bad our depth was? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, Michael Marty is a special teams linebacker. He's the guy you sure. want out there because he's going to run around 100 miles with his hair on fire and hit anything that moves. Well, but he when he's that got a, in the Atlanta game. Well, sure. Exactly. He showed his worth for the New Orleans Saints in that Atlanta game when he blocked that punt and scored a touchdown on it. Yeah. I mean, he And there's is, nothing wrong with that. No, you need, you need guys like that because sure. Bill guys... Bill made a career out of that. Exactly. Guys who are less talented tend to push the more talented players because they're like, look at this guy. He is making every tackle. He is out there busting his butt. What's my excuse? Why am I not making plays? And I was going to say, Stephon Anthony, good, good linebacker, but you could see all season he was thinking. He had to second-guess himself. You asked him to make the calls. He has to read the defense, and he has to go out there and make a play. And too many times you could see he didn't trust what he was seeing. I watched two games in particular where he checked out of a defense and made the defense shift, and this is one in the Tennessee game. You can see Tennessee runs the play right where he just checked out of that defense and shifted. They just opened up the lane and went in. So you didn't get to see the explosion. You didn't get to see enough of the anticipation, all the talent that Stephon Anthony really has because he was thinking too much about what he was doing. And I think that's why you now brought who, in. Who, who gets the credit for that? Is, is that a Rob Ryan? Uh, no, I mean, that's not that's, that's, that's that a, matters. I'm just curious. From it's a it's a it's a rookie learning curve. It's a rookie learning curve, and you did don't have that. Put, I guess what I'm asking is, did we just put too much on his plate as a rookie to expect him to go and do be all things to all this football team when we should have? You needed to, if you're going to put all this on his plate, he needs to have a Scott Fujita kind of linebacker playing next to him. Somebody who's been in the league for a long time and understands it is more of a cerebral player than a uh, than a hitter who can sit there and be the sounding board for Anthony. He didn't have that. You know, and I think that's why Laurinaitis is there. We bring I, in I was Laurinaitis. About, I was just yeah, using to ask you, does does Laurinaitis fit into that mode? Oh absolutely, absolutely. Look Laurinaitis is not nearly as talented as Anthony in the middle. But Laurinaitis has been in the league for a while. He knows the game. He's seen almost everything. So you're not going to get that hesitation, and you're going to have somebody in the locker, in the, uh, in the meeting room that has seen it all and can tell him, hey, look, look, when you're looking at this play, watch this guy. Look what he does here. That's your key. Read that. Don't fall for this. Look at this happening here. Watch this alignment. They do this out of this alignment. You know, these kind of things. Well, he's not he's, – his keys are instant. He's read his keys. He's good to go. Boom. Make a play. Okay? And you didn't have that last year because last year you could see we were putting linebackers out there. He had two rookies out there because he had Kihaka playing, uh, playing the strong side. You had Anthony in the middle. Then you would have – I hate saying subpar, but you'd have non-NFL caliber linebackers playing that weak side yeah. position unless Ellaby was there, okay? And, and that Ellaby accounts wasn't for about three games. Right. 
And that's why when Ellery was there, suddenly it looked a lot better because now you had somebody in there that Anthony could rely on to make a play because he's not only watching for us, he's watching the alignment, he's watching, you know, who's on the strong side. He's yeah. trying to see everything. That's too much thinking for for a guy. You know, sure. Vilma was a master at it. We kind of got spoiled with Jonathan Vilma. He's a master at it. Uh, he knew it was going to happen before it happened. Sam Mills was the same way. That's why they sure. were two best middle linebackers in Saints history. Um, the, the first Legends of the Fall article that I ever wrote was on Sam Mills. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and hey, that brings us right into the, the last line of defense, defensive backs. You know, sure. now you have Brandon Browner in there. You're not giving a 15 to 30 yards uh, possession and penalties anymore. Um, you've got I Devin Bro. 15 to 30 yards of play. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you've got I, Devin. Actually, you know, that cost the Saints organization <clears throat> to get, get loose of Browner. But I applaud Sean Payton for taking that hit for the betterment of the team. I think you know, that the decision that he made to say enough is enough, you cannot help our organization, you got to go. Right. I, I, you know, I think he did. The, he made the right move there. You, I you, had, you were forced to. With, I, I personally, I, I at the time felt he should have uh, got two bus tickets, one for Browner and one for Spiller. But, <laughs> well, and this goes back a little ways now, Spiller. Uh, you know, he was supposed to be that joker that Reggie Bush, uh, Darren Sproles kind of back, and it starts off bad with him having a knee injury, and then he never really produces. He has that one play against Dallas. The rest yeah. of the time, you, you watch him, he is got alligator arms with passes over the middle. You sure. do a pitch out wide. Instead of him turning up field, he's heading towards the sidelines. Um, Every... All the hype that I heard on Spiller coming in was this guy is going to be astronomical for you guys. Basically the same type hype I heard from uh, Jairus Bird coming in. Both coming from the Bills. I think this is some sort of conspiracy from <laughs> Orchard, Orchard Park. But, you know, I digress. My friend Nick would like that. But don't forget Jabari Greer came from Buffalo too. So we did. We got one of three. That was really good. Well, so one out of three uh, ain't bad, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Spiller and Bird uh, both. You know, I, I got to listen to some guys who cover the Bills for for a living, and both of them said that those guys. The Bills let them go because they were on the cusp of becoming that declining player. Uh, both of them coming off of injuries, and both of them really, in the Bills' mind, kind of saw their best days behind them. And I think the Saints got burned with Jerry's Bird because Sean Payne's been looking for another Darren Sharper. I'll wash my mouth out later, but sorry, the guy was a great player. Um, he was. I they, I, I do not condone or. Uh, well, you can't. You can't. But the man, I, I, the man was a turnover it, machine. But if you are, if you want to know the honest <clears throat> truth, in my op humble opinion, 2009 never happens without Darren Sharper. Oh no. The Saints team. You don't. You don't win the Super Bowl without Darren Sharper. You Absolutely. don't. 
You don't even make that run without Derek no. Carr. No, no. Because now, what he, he did he, after the fact was deplorable. And, sure. And I think he deserves everything that he's getting because of that and more. Right. But what he – and I feel the same way about Pete Rose. What he I did, what, what he did does but not when you want to talk about Right. You want to talk about what he did on the field. When we're talking about what he did on the field – that's what Sean Payton's been looking for since 2009. He's look. He wanted Bird because Bird was the all was the current active interception leader, and he wants somebody who's going to steal possessions for his offense, get those turnovers, score defensive touchdowns, get my offense the ball back, and we're going to bury this other team. And he thought Jerry's Bird was going to be his next Darren Sharper, and Bird hasn't been that way. He has got a broken down player with a bad back, with bad knees, who doesn't like contact, who they've got him now playing center field uh, where, you know, he's not involved in the game. It's, he's a frustrating player to watch, and I think that's why they drafted Bell from the uh, from Ohio State because Bell is yet another player who gets a lot of turnovers, and Sean Payton is still looking for that safety who's a ball hawk. If the Bell others, if Bell makes the transition to the the professional game quickly, and he he's able to start picking up on things, do we cut loose of uh, Bar? Not this year, no. Not this not, year. Not, not during this season, no. I, I mean, like, if we're you and I are sitting here having this conversation a year from now, do we oh, talk about Bird now, in past tense? Yes. A year from now, you're talking about Bird in the past tense. I think a year from now, you can talk about Bird in the past tense regardless. Uh, really? Yeah, because I think this is his last year. They can afford the cap hit next year. Uh, I know it's significantly less than it is right now, but... Um, yeah, they're, they're ready to part ways with Bird. They see that they made a mistake. They just can't afford to admit it right now. Um, the other safety position, um, we'll have to go through this rather quickly right now. Uh, Vaccaro, you know, that's your other starting safety. They want him roaming a lot more, I think. So you're going to see more of those three safety alignments like you saw in 2013. Yeah. If everyone stays healthy. Roman Harper is going to be back in there in the mix as your linebacker, your linebacker slash uh, safety. They're going to put him in the box a lot more because if you look at Greg Williams and Greg Williams had Roman Harper, Roman Harper had like six sacks in 2011, I think. Uh, something outrageous like that for a safety. He wants Harper up near that line where he can blitz. He can he can be the run stuffer. You don't want him in coverage. You certainly don't want him covering a tight end. Uh, you know, so Harper is there for two reasons. Number one, again, leadership in the locker room, leadership in that film room, explaining to those young safeties what are you seeing, you know, because Bird wasn't the leader they wanted him to be. And uh, somebody on the field is a physical presence. Uh, you don't have that presence right now. Vaccaro can do it somewhat, but – they need that third safety in there. Sure. And, you know, the other position, the cornerback position, I mean, you've got Devin Bro locked in there. You've got now, I should mention him too in the safeties, uh, you've got the kid from 
the CFL, another player out of the CFL, who Eric, uh, Harris. Eric Harris, who the Saints are very high on. Where does he fit in? You know, is he going to be the strong safety? Is he going to be a free safety? How are they going to use him? Um, yeah. You know, and then the number two cornerback spot is up for grabs because you basically have three guys fighting for that job. You've got um, Keenan Lewis, P.J. Williams, and Damian Swan. And all three of those guys are coming off of injuries. You know, Lewis with the knee and the uh, yep. the herniated hip, yeah. Uh, you know, P.J. Swan had that torn uh, – uh, what was it? It was a uh, torn hamstring. Torn hamstring he yeah. had gotten. And Swan, it was the three concussions. So where do, where do those three fit in? How does that shake out? Who ends up being the starter? I know a lot of people want P.J. Williams to be the starter, but I think Lewis will probably get it, and it will be his job to lose. Um, and then you've got a bunch of young guys thrown in the mix there and see where they fall in special teams. I'm really high on Devontae Harris. I'd like to see what he has to do. And Trey you Elston know. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I had five undrafted free agents making the final 53. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yeah, three of them were offensive linemen, and the other two was Devontae Harris and Trey Elston. It'll be interesting to see how this works out because, you know, now we're talking about special teams. You know, where does, where does Dixon fit in there? He's a great special teams player. You don't want him out there covering anybody, but you need him on special teams. Um, where does he and his brother fit in, which I think he's actually the one that's the, the real keeper? Um, uh, we, we, Brian we need to see Dixon. if Drew Brees can kick. <laughs> no, we don't need to see if Drew Brees can kick. We just need to well, find another kicker. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think we're paying for Morton Anderson, really. I think we're paying for all those years we have Morton Anderson because karma? we cannot, yeah, we can, and I don't believe in karma, but, yeah, uh, I think the football gods are just trying to balance out the averages and are, are not granting us another Doug Bryan kind of kicker uh, yeah. because – Really, if you look at the history of the kicker with, with Sean Payton, actually the history of the kicking position since uh, since we let Morton Anderson go over a million dollars, which is unfathomable, but that's yeah. the, that was the end of the Mora years. Uh, you I know, think we've Mora had a, had a breakdown of some sort. <clears throat> you listen to some of those press conferences? Yeah, Mora lost uh, touch with reality uh, a little. Diddly Poo? Uh, I still that's still one of my all-time favorites. Um, we suck. no, I mean, oh god, that that was. I think. Oh, well, is that your wall? No. Okay. Okay, right. we're good. Ah, uh, good, good. Um, see, my camera likes Jim Moore. That's all. There you go. Well, that was a Jim Moore moment, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had a revolving door of kickers. Doug Bryan probably gave us the greatest amount of stability there. He was good for about five years. Uh, then John Carney came in. He was good for about four and a half, five years because you had that time where, you know, Sean Payton tried to upgrade from him and brought in Alinda Mare and then realized, hey, I screwed up. I brought him back. And then he, you know, 2009 midseason, he starts getting erratic and they go in with uh, Garrett Hartley and it just it keeps going from there. Um, 
Jared Hartley would have been fine. He just lost oh, his God. confidence. You know, I, I tick off a couple of diehard Garrett Hartley fans. If you really look at Hartley's statistics, if you really look at his career, he happened to hit a groove at the most important time sure. of, in Saints history. He hit that groove from the after the Tampa miss through the playoffs and the Super Bowl, and then the first few games of the 2010 season. Then he got erratic again. You know, and then 2011, he was gone the whole year, so you had John, uh, I mean, you had Casey in there. So, with Hartley, you never really had that full season where you realize he really is a box of chocolates. He hit a 45 yarder, and then they go inside 25, and the ball's going this way. And you're <laughs> like, what happened? You know? Yeah. Um, it, it's. He, that's what I just used to call him. I said he was a box of chocolates because you never knew what you were going to get out of him. Um, you know, and they would bring Carney in there to try and work with him, get him in shape, get him, get his mind right. Because kickers really are like golfers. You know, we we may, again they pick on the special teams coach uh, about this, but a kicker, it's so much of it is a mental game, and sure. you have to get in that focused mental state because they can all kick. But being having that consistent motion when the leg just comes through consistently, yeah. and you know you had that with Morton Anderson, you didn't have that with any other kicker we've had. Really, you know, young kickers I'm talking about that we brought in. You just don't have that consistent stroke, the consistent motion. Little things kind of throw them off. And Hawker, you saw that. You know, it's a bad snap. He freaked out. You know, and he missed an extra point. So. Uh, I don't know what the solution is for kicker. I really don't. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if neither of these guys made it. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Connor Barth made it. I wouldn't be surprised if Kai Farbath makes it. You know, they're only as good as the next miss, and then it's kicker Monday, you know, where you have every kicker in the world out there trying out over an airline. No, highway, no, so. it's, it's long snapper Monday, kicker Yeah. Monday. Long snapper Monday, kicker Tuesday. So, yeah, one bad long snap, long snapper Monday. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Morstead is great, great kickoff guy, great punter. We're pretty solid there. We're, we're pretty good on our, you know, on a uh, on a long snapper for now. And whether or not, you know, our um, we uh, we have who we have as a kick returner shakes out in the receiver and running back battle. You know, special teams is the king. So, so, same question. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your evaluation of this defense? If we can get to the bottom half of the 20s, you know, 23, 20, uh, 22, out of the bottom, I should say, you know, you get into the, the uh, low 20s, I think we have enough that we could possibly win, you know, 10 games. This is a hard, hard schedule. Uh, right is. now, you know, you, last year you played the two weakest divisions. This year you're playing the two toughest, AFC West and NFC West. Uh, we don't match up well with a lot of those teams. So it's a question of what's going to happen. Uh, you know, who wins these training camp battles to determine how good of a team we are. We have to get off to a hot start. So we'll see. You know, rookies show up, what, Wednesday? And then the veterans yes. come in uh, yes. the following week. So. You know, seven days from now, we'll see how it goes. So, uh, well, I think this was a good start. You know, 
we'll see how uh, how it goes from here. But you know, I had fun tonight. I'm glad you guys paid attention. Glad you guys stuck with us this long. Hopefully, you didn't hang up on us after the first uh, <laughs> 40 minutes. You stuck with us for the full hour. Appreciate I'll, all the support. I want to thank Alan Ulrich for <laughs> being with me on this. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with you, brother. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. I enjoy working with you. Uh, and I want to say, take a moment to say a special hello to my dad, who's watching. Absolutely. Tonight. If my dad, he's the, one, uh, he's the one that instilled in me the love of the game. Absolutely. This absolutely. means so much to me for him to to share in this with me. That's great. That's we want to uh we want to let you guys know that beginning next week we will be moving into our regular time slot of 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Tuesday nights rather than Wednesday. We just did Wednesday tonight for the premiere. We want to know what you guys think. Uh, what you guys want to see. What, what, do you, uh, what do you want from us? You can reach us either on the Facebook page under the Dome Podcast is the name of the page, or you can reach us by email at under the dome podcast at gmail.com. And once again, I want to say a special uh, thank you to Fan First Productions because without Absolutely. the fans, without the fans, it's just a game for kids. That's right. And thank those guys for believing in us, getting behind us on our vision, and helping us see it through to where we are tonight. Thank all of you guys for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Good night, everybody. Thank you all. Good night. We will see you again next week on Under the Dome.